Hi, everybody. My name's Leo, and I'm an alcoholic. Very nice. Very nice to be at this uh, singles uh, AA uh, convention, and uh, it's also nice to be able to uh, see some people who I have not uh, seen for, for some time. It's uh, great to be here. love to see the... Somebody said to me when uh, I arrived, there's a lot of electricity, a lot of electricity and excitement in, in the room. So, um, I hope it stays uh, for the next hour. <laughs> when I was, I, I'm, I'm from Long Beach in Los Angeles, and uh, when I was uh, flying in, fly, flying in uh, to San Diego, uh, she dressed like this, a lady, a lady said to me, where are you going? Where are you going, Father? I said, I'm going to talk to uh, uh, some recovering alcoholics. Alcoholics? She said, oh, God, she said, they're all over now. <laughs> she said, they're all over now. She said, read about them in the newspaper. She said, are you going to teach them the gospel? I said, no, I'm a recovering alcoholic. God! <laughs> You don't look like one. <laughs> it's amazing. Even in 1991, still, people don't understand what alcoholism is all about. I'm, as you can tell, from England, not Ohio. <laughs> from England. I've lived in this country now, let me say, for 11 years. And, and loved it. And uh, a long time ago, George Bernard Shaw said that America and England are two countries divided by a common language. <laughs> Sometimes you say something that doesn't mean the same as me. Sometimes I say, I say something that doesn't mean the same as you. Time can be embarrassing. I'm the Episcopalian. And we had last year the bishop and his wife over, and my mother and father, my mother's 80, father's 80, we had mother and father over from England. And uh, do you have a mother like mine? My mother will ask a question, then she answers her own question. Then she walks away mad. But anyway, she, 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 uh, she's gonna behave, she said she's gonna behave all through, and she behaved all through the meal. And the bishop and the wife were getting ready to go, and my mother, she went over to the bishop and she said, Bishop, it's been wonderful having you here for dinner. She said, now please go home and keep your pecker up. I don't know whether many of you understand that the pecker in England means the nose. <laughs> I could tell by the expression on the bishop's face that the pecker in America doesn't mean the nose. <laughs> bishop's wife was heard to say, I wish he could. Every country has its famous trunk. You have D. Martin. We had Winston Churchill. I don't know whether many of you know 
Winston Churchill used to drink about a bottle of brandy a day. Now, I don't know whether Winston was alcoholic or not. But there are some stories told about Winston that I can identify with. There's a beautiful story. Winston Churchill was sitting at dinner with Lady Astor. And Lady Astor turned to Winston Churchill and said, Winnie, Winnie, you're drunk. And Winston Churchill, in his inimitable way, said, Madam, you are ugly. But I shall wake up sober in the morning. <laughs> she was quick, she was quick to say to him, she said, Winnie, Winnie, if I was your wife, I'd put poison in your soup. Madam, if I was your husband, I'd drink it. <laughs> I don't know whether many of you, don't know whether many of you have ever, don't know whether many of you have ever realized. Every joke that's ever told about the alcoholic reveals the disease. It's true. Those jokes of Winston Churchill, what do you see? The arrogance, the manipulation, the tricky, sticky behavior. Better to me if you can catch the disease in a joke. Why can't you catch recovery in a joke? It's a beautiful story of a woman with four years in AA. Four years in AA. But she marries a man who's very, very old-fashioned. And on their wedding night, they go to the bedroom. And the wife is standing there and the man... The man takes off his trousers and he throws his trousers in the middle of the bedroom. He says, wife, get into those trousers. She says, I can't get into those trousers. He says, no. And don't you forget who wears the trousers in this marriage. Now, how many years does she have in AA? Four. She does no more. She takes off her little panties. And she throws her panties into the middle of the bedroom. She says, husband, get into those panties. He says, I can't get into those panties. She says, no, and you won't until you change your attitude. Now you may be thinking, what has recovery got to do with panties? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> this is a spiritual program, ladies and gentlemen. And I will be talking about that spiritual awakening. But many people confuse it with religion. And if you confuse religion with spirituality, you'll always miss the opportunity to be able to reach out to people who are different. Somebody handed it to me some months ago 
A funny, funny, it's funny, funny little thing about some of the great religions of the world. Share it with you tonight. It's going to be on tape. This is what some of the great religions of the world say. Taoism, Taoism says, shit happens. Confucianism says, Confucius he says, shit happens. Buddhism says, if shit happens, it isn't really shit. Then, then, then says, what is the sound of shit happening? Hinduism, Hinduism says, this shit happened before. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, Islam says, if shit happens, it is the will of Allah. <laughs> now moving closer to home. Protestantism says, let shit happen to somebody else. Catholicism says, it should happen, you deserve it. <laughs> Judaism, Judaism says, why does shit always happen to us? <laughs> hey, atheism says, I don't believe this shit. And tele-evangelism says, shit happens, send your money. <laughs> now the reason why I'm sharing that with you is, that spirituality is what exactly happened to you tonight, or many of you. And that is, you can laugh again. You know, one of the, I speak at a lot of conferences all over the place. And the one thing that waitresses say and the one thing that people in hotels say is, who are those people? Who are those people? How come they're laughing so much? Hugging one another. How come that they look so happy and they don't seem to be drinking? <laughs> they're smoking but they ain't drinking. <laughs> what is it? And I realize that not everybody here has got a few years, some are in your few months. Still stiff. Still a bit nervous. Still a bit frightened. For those of us who have recovered, recovering the number of years, we didn't get sober to be miserable. Did we? And the ability is, some of the things that I'm going to say to you now, you may agree with, you may not. The main thing about it is that this is a fellowship of ideas. There are no gurus. There are no popes. There are no people who have all the answers. When I came into this program, I've been sober now for 14 years. When I came into this program 14 years ago, predominantly AA. 
In the time that I've been in the United States, 11 years, I've seen the birth of other programs. Other 12-step programs that start just like you started with reading the steps and the traditions. Now, primarily, primarily, I'm an alcoholic. You follow what I'm saying? That's my drug of choice. I only ever smoked marijuana twice. Once I got an erection. <laughs> the second time I got a headache. If it had been the other way around, I might have continued to use it. <laughs> but the bottom line with it is, the reason why I'm sharing it is, think about it. I've met people, and some of them are here tonight, in fact they said hello to me. For them, their primary drug was food. There are many people all over the San Diego, and it doesn't matter what you think about it, he's a fact. It's not about whether you believe it or not, he's a fact. There are thousands upon thousands of people who are getting well, recovery, and sexual addiction. Codependency is one of the biggest single movements in the United States. All started with this 12 program, 12 steps. Anybody who's here, especially those of you who are new in the program, don't think too small. You have a small God, you'll remain a small person. This is a major, major movement. Prophetic saying that I share with you tonight, we've only just begun. We've only just begun. I, as I said to you, speak in Oklahoma, Arkansas. I'll go and speak in parts of Florida. It's nothing, ladies and gentlemen, nothing to have 5,000 people and a meeting. You've done incredibly well when you think about it. Your second year. We've only just begun. And the magic and the power is the fact that there are no popes. There are no gurus. In this program you will meet Catholics and Jews, Protestants, and there is in the big book a chapter to the agnostics, those people who don't know. They're not saying yes and they're not saying no. They don't know. We've only just begun. It is a gift from God. And it's not religion. And I know the difference. Because tomorrow I'll be flying, or tonight I fly back, and tomorrow morning I'll be doing a religious service. Atmosphere is completely different. <laughs> friend of mine said when he was saying mass early in the morning he said look so the sea's given up the dead and they're all here <laughs> but when you come well, I'm being serious with you now I want to say to the Christians lighten up, lighten up so, and now, now because of course people get to know you know they get to know you and this now we've got a lot more recovering people in the congregation. What a difference! But what is it about us? What makes it work? We're not the most organized people. 
We're not the most organized people. We don't use the biggest amount of publicity. We don't do a lot of marketing. The incredible thing is we really have caught on to something that is so powerful and is so big. Called spirituality. Somebody in the program said it a long time ago. Somebody in the program says, religion, religion's man-made. Spirituality is God-given. And there are people who are listening in the other room. And there are some of you here with a few months or a few years. The spiritual awakening is when you realize that there is something of God in every one of us. We are very powerful. We are very powerful. Started with alcoholics, touched people with drug addicts, eating disorders, codependents, and some of you have already heard. I've been talking about religious addiction and religious abuse. Believe you me. People who can be addicted to religion. People can be addicted to a one way of thinking. And I talk about religious addiction, ladies and gentlemen, but I want some of you to be aware the same thing can happen with the 12-step program. When people say, this is the only way, this is the only interpretation, guard against not being like that, because that's not freedom. That's the dogma. And that's the rule. We've only just begun. There's a story, by the way, it's not a Christian story, I think it's a Native American, Native American story. It's about a man who dies and goes to heaven. The man dies and goes to heaven and he's at the gates of heaven and he knocks on the door. God's inside, God says, who is it? The man says, it's me. God says, go away. That's the gate of heaven. God says, who is it? The man says, it's me, Harry. God says, go on. What's wrong with you? Get in. And then he gets it. And you? He goes back and he knocks. God says, who is it? And the man says, it's you. And God says, come in. And you find God in your life. You see, until we find that power, that creative power, we're never going to be anything. We're never going to be able to speak. We're never going to be able to read. We're never be able, going to be able to carry the message. You see, it's a very ancient thing. It's not about being a Christian, it's more than that. It's about whether you can realize what is in the 12 steps. That spiritual awakening that makes you realize that sure you make mistakes, but you're not a mistake. You're a powerful child of God. Martin Luther King, when he gave a sermon in Memphis, once said, don't just say your prayers, be prepared to march. 
In other words, put your body where your mouth is, and that's always been at the heart of the 12-step program. We've only just begun. You come into this program realizing that your life is unmanageable and you feel so powerless. And in the 12th step you suddenly realize that your life is becoming manageable. And you are slowly becoming more powerful. Powerful in the sense that you say no to things that are painful. Powerful in the sense that you avoid slippery situations. Powerful in the sense that you no longer want to hang around with people who are using or abusing other people. You suddenly realize that not only is your life getting manageable, you pay your bills, you know where you went. You know who you went with. You also suddenly start realizing the power of the word no. And you also realize the power of the word yes. This is not about slavery, this program. This is about power. And the power is in something that you never would have thought of. It's not in a great poem or great Bible. You know how it all works. And it worked for me 14 years ago in England. And it's still working today. Somebody said, say what it was like. And what happened? And what it's like now? Fourteen years ago, a Jewish lady shared. A Jewish lady who I thought I had absolutely nothing in common with. She shared. And I heard. And I bet you any money, any money, the reason why you're here tonight and the reason why I'm here tonight is because Somebody did something. Somebody said something, somebody called us, somebody took us somewhere. God worked through us. My sponsor said to me in England something that I really have never forgotten. He says, Leo, always remember this, you don't have a message, you are the message. I have to say, what was that? Say it again, slowly, slowly. He says, Leo, you don't speak a message. You are the message. It isn't something that is said. And I've never forgotten it. That's why if I'm walking along the corridor, I'll be the one who'll say hi. If I've got, if I've got a few minutes, I'll always walk to a table and say, how are you doing? It takes no time, and it can make all the difference in the world. Because you may shake hands with somebody who's new in the program and they're feeling real lonely and real out of it. Doesn't take a minute, hello. How are you doing? That's what's so different about these rules. It's a spirituality that is based on realistic love. It's not about noise. It's not about any of that. And what has been going on, I suspect, the last few days is what's going on tonight. I'm going to tell you my story. What it was like, what happened, and what it was like. Happened, a little English guy in England, but it's your story, madam. Because it's all the same story. 
It's all about how our lives became unmanageable and how we experienced powerlessness. And now those of us who work the program suddenly realize that we can start to build lives again, build conferences again, build newspapers again, build factories again. You see, we are very creative people. I started drinking when I was 14 years old in England, in a private school. They gave us beer to drink at night. And it wasn't so much that I drank to get drunk. And it wasn't even that I liked the taste, but I liked how I felt when I drank. I'm five foot seven. Five foot eight on a very good day. <laughs> but when I drank alcohol, I felt six foot two. Oh, what a bitch! I had a stutter. I don't know where anybody else here that had a stutter. I had a stutter and kids used to make fun of me. <laughs> that shame, that whatever happened to me with that stutter. When I drank, the stutter went. Isn't it amazing? I'm talking to you earlier about power. I put the power in the bottle. That's where the power was coming for me. Because when I drank, I didn't feel shy and I didn't feel scared. And I felt bigger and I felt stronger. And my stutter didn't make any difference. In fact, my stutter went away. And I drank all through university. Cunning, baffling and powerful and patient. Every time I drank, I didn't get drunk. And even towards the end, every time I drank, I didn't get drunk. Cunning, baffling, and powerful. It isn't easy to get. The whole point. You don't always understand it. And I drank through university, and I qualified, and I graduated. And I was training to be a Jesuit. But I disagreed with some of the things in the Roman Catholic Church. Especially on birth control. And just for you to know, that's the reason why I became an Anglican, a Episcopalian. But I was trained to be a Jesuit. And in 1971, I was ordained to the priesthood. And just like you, I had to have an excuse to drink. We had to manufacture factor excuses to drink. And mine was, I said to the other priest in the big house that we all lived in, the priest's house, the monkey house, I said to all the, I said, the lost and the lonely, the lost, the lost and the lonely, they need me, and I know where they all are. They're all in the bar. And I walked into the bar, in my head, thinking, tricky dicky, that I was going to save them. What I really wanted to do was drink. Now, if you walk into a bar like dressed like this, people notice you. There's a penguin at the end of the bar. Walking oil slicks just come in. And if, you know, the funny thing is, everybody likes to say hello to a priest. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter if they don't go to church. 
Hi, hello, Father. How are you? Send Father a drink. Send him a double. Send him a double. So, of course, I learned to drink. They said to me, they said to me, they, of course, they fed the alcoholic ego. They said, God, you're not like other priests, Father Leo. God, you're wonderful. <laughs> Jesus must have sent you. Jesus sent you. <laughs> you drink like we drink. You smoke like we smoke. You throw up like we throw up. People started to come. What about this? People started to come from the bar to the church. Church was packed with people. People never knew what I was going to do. I never knew what I was going to do. One woman said to her husband, shall we stay at home and watch Benny Hill or shall we go to church and listen to Father Leo? Same same thing's going to happen. And just like, just, just like, just like many of you had problems in your work. Oh, I know you did. So did I. I've always said if you're an alcoholic and you drive a truck, you're going to be drunk in your truck. If you're an alcoholic and a nurse, you're going to be drunk in your hospital. If you're a priest and an alcoholic, there's going to be times you're drunk in the church. I remember once being drunk doing a funeral. I followed the coffin into the hall. I tell you, it's real scary when you hear the amens coming from above. But it was an Irish funeral. So they picked me up and we all went home. <laughs> nobody, nobody hears about that. I too. But the next one people got to hear about. I don't know whether many of you know, the priests do baptisms on a Sunday afternoon. Three o'clock. And I'd had what's known as a liquid lunch. And everybody was at this baptism. I mean, we're talking family and relatives. I mean, neighbors, the whole troop was in. <clears throat> and I'd had a few drinks. Now, I wasn't drunk, but I was mellow. You know what I mean, mellow? You know what I mean, mellow? When you're mellow, you don't need any help. You know what I mean? When you're mellow and you want to drive your car, give it a key. When you're mellow, you're just cool. <laughs> and I walked in mellow to do the baptism. And I walked in and said, give me the baby. <laughs> give me the baby. I didn't ask any questions, just give me the baby. And I baptized this baby in the name of the Father. And of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Daphne. I didn't ask anyone. It was Daphne. <laughs> the mother, the mother, she let loose such a scream. She said, ah! 
Father Leo, it's a little boy. I said, I don't care what the hell it is. It's Daphne now. He said, is there anything we can do about it? I said, no. Forever in a day, he will be called Daphne. How do you make amends to a thing like that? I know I should bring him over to California. The bottom line with it is, the mother, she wrote a letter to the bishop. He wrote a letter. I got a telephone call in the week from the bishop. He said, Boo, my name. He said, Boo, I want you at my office tomorrow, nine o'clock. Put the phone down. Put the phone down. Just put it down. I think to myself, why does the bishop want me? Nine o'clock tomorrow, one. Then I got it. Promotion. <laughs> I go to see the bishop. That bishop in England lives in a palace. I go to see the bishop. He's in this great big room with a great big desk. Small man, big desk. He's got a letter. He says I've got a letter. A letter! A letter! I said, good. He said it about you, you fool. I said, what? He said, I got a letter from a woman. Who said you baptized a little boy? Daphne. Are you sick? Are you demented? You're having some kind of breakdown? What's that matter with you? And then he looked at me in the eye. Oh, he did. He looked at me straight in the eye. And he said, you heard this from somebody. You really did. He said to me, had you been drinking? Had you been drinking? Now see if you can identify with this. <laughs> Who? Who? Me? No. No, I swear in the Bible. No. But he didn't believe me. But he couldn't prove it. <laughs> you ever been in that situation? When you're, when you know you're telling a lie and they know you're telling a lie, you know that they know you're telling a lie, but they can't prove it. <laughs> anyway, he said, he said, you're finished, you're finished, F-I-N-S-I-H-E-D, finished, you're finished, you're through. You drink again, you're out. We're talking out. Oh, you teaching, out. I said, disease talks to me. My disease says, 
You don't pee. You gotta lie low. Lie low. Here's a funny thing. You wanna know a funny thing? Here's a funny thing. I didn't know the one here who could leave it alone. Mmm, Connie. Exactly. Powerful. I left it alone for I thought to myself, if I could leave it alone for six months, I'm not an alcoholic. Alcoholics have to drink all day and every day. Everybody knows that. So if I could leave it alone for six months, I'm not an alcoholic. Oh. <laughs> and I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I drank again. Some of you may think it might have been on Christmas Eve. Some of you may have thought it was some special day in England, but not. It was an ordinary Thursday. Raining. A damp day. And the telephone goes, the telephone goes. And there's a woman, she says, would you come, would you come to Father, to Father Leo, would you come to my daughter's 21st? I didn't want to come. Please come. I don't want to come. So I go there and I want to do 7-Up. 7-Up. I'm freaked out on 7-Up. But I go. You talk about coincidences. God working his miracles anonymously. Who should be at the party for the woman who knew me years ago when I drank? And she said to me, Oh, hello. Hello. She said, What's in your glass? She said, seven up. She said, no wonder you want to She said, Bubbly, you're a gin and tonic man. Gin and tonic. Get yourself a nice gin and tonic. I said, no. Get that. Just have one. One. I have one. Ladies and gentlemen. And then I had another one. Two. Only two, though. We're not talking mammoth. Two. And I go home. When I go home, I found, I haven't got my watch on. Where's my watch? Next morning, I called the barman. Left the watch in the restroom. He found one. He I've got one. I found the watch in the restroom. I said, it's mine. He said, come and get it. I will. So the next morning, two drinks the night before, I go to get my watch. When I go in to get my watch, she gives me the watch, and then the hotel landlord says, Here, Father Leo, have one for the road. Gin and tonic. Ladies and gentlemen, I took that gin and tonic. Last night, two drinks. When I took that gin and tonic, the lion is disturbed. It was almost like, almost physical. I felt the third. And I knew that two or twenty-two would not be enough. And I had maybe two or three drinks in that place. And then I went to another place, and another place, and another place. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, I was as drunk as a skunk. 
driving, driving my car home. I drove my car home, skidded off the road and hit a tree and hit a lamppost and I, I broke off the me. and I shot up the car, the car shot up in the air. <laughs> Two old ladies in the garden said, look, there goes Father Leo. <laughs> That's the way he travels, man. <laughs> hey, but I didn't stay up there. I came down. Shot. Bang. Got out of the car. Leaving her. What a mess. People all around scream. Ah! Ah! A priest! Ah! He's drunk! <laughs> Not the only one. You see, there's many kinds of intervention. Many of you say to somebody who wants an intervention, they think did somebody meet you in the morning at breakfast who you don't expect. No, no, no. There's a thing called natural intervention. And something happens in your life to create pain. The only reason why you're here tonight, the only reason, is pain. If we did not have pain, we'd still be drinking. The only reason why we're getting well tonight is because of pain. No matter how you wrap it up, no matter how you say it, no matter how you put it across to people, we don't want to go back to the pain. The only reason. When you see any young person here, 19, 22 years of age, 23, 27, the reason why they're not drinking or using is fear. Going back to the pain. The only reason. Pain is your friend. I've often said to my people, never, never, never pray for the pain go away. It is the pain and the memory of the pain that keeps us clean. Natural intervention for me is a car crash. For you, it could have been when your wife turned around and she said, Harry, I never said this to you before, but I'm, I'm weak. Not because I don't love you, but because I'm beginning to love myself now. Maybe. Maybe that was the pain. That was your crack. Some women have shared, some women have shared with me their pain was when they went to get hold of their, their little daughter. They went to get hold of their little boy. Pick him up. And the little boy or the little girl goes away scared. And the mother suddenly realizes even the children are afraid. For some of you here, it could be that you can't remember a night. Or you can't remember a week. 
And you got home, but you don't know how you got home. There's so many interventions. And every pain brings its fear. To me, it was a car crash. And I went into hospital, ladies and gentlemen, after that car crash. I went into hospital, and let me tell you, I was in hospital not for 28 days. I was in hospital for three months. That's a quarter of a year. You talk about denial. Here's denial. First week, I didn't know why I was there. Second month, I thought I was the chaplain. <laughs> I'm walking about like a chaplain. <laughs> and it was, it was the last month. And I'd love to be able to tell you it was some great doctor or psychiatrist who worked his magic trick. With a guy from AA. What is his name? His name was Harry. AA people tend to have names like that. Harry. <laughs> and Harry used to come, Harry used to come to the hospital to drive people to the meetings. That, he was a Harry. And he used to wear a flat hat. And he used to smoke unpicked cigarettes. Senior service. And he used to stand at the nurse's station. And I'm going by thinking I'm a chaplain. And this Harry spotted me. He was about five foot two. Got about 16 years in AA. Had his cigarette. He said, Leo, hey! Leo, come in! Leo, come in! What do you want, Harry? Come in! What do you want? Come in! And I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. Leo, you're full of shit. Hey, what? I'm going to tell my mother. I don't have to take you. See what I've got on, Harry? You don't talk to me like you're not even qualified. You're not even qualified. And anyway, I don't have to take this. You're in the hospital. I don't have to take this. Anyway, I'm leaving. I'm going AMA. And I'm up in my room. Get out of here, calling me a little twit. Then I suddenly think, where am I going? Where can I go? So I'll wait. You know, like you wait. I waited, then I go down the stairs again. And then Harry's still there. Hey, the Leo. He's still full of shit. <laughs> but then he said, then he said something incredible. Still looking at me, he said, but you can do well. You can change your life. You can do well. He took me to an AA meeting, ladies and gentlemen, where I heard that Jewish woman speak. And the Jewish woman started to speak, and she told my story. What it was like. What happened. 
and what it's like now. You're looking at a man who never, never had a problem with AA. Never once. The AA that I met was based on love. I lost my license, driving license, for two years. In those two years of me losing my driving license, people from AA drove me to meetings. I went to meetings all around the south coast of England, and I met people there, and they shared with me, and I shared with them, and I heard recovery. And they shared some beautiful things with me. The first thing they said to me, and it's incredible when you think about it, the first thing they shared with me was, Leon, you've got to discover a God as you understand God. Not a God of anybody else. Now you must remember I'm a priest and this is like, this is new stuff for me. But they said, find a God that you can understand. And I just want to share with you, I have been brought up with a God, that's why I write about religious abuse and talk about it. I was brought up with a God of judgment. And I was brought up on a God that I was afraid of. And I was brought up on a God who was going to get you if you did it wrong. And I learned from other people in that 12-step meeting, I learned about a God, a God of love and a God of acceptance and a God of freedom. Also, my sponsor shared with me that we don't want to go around in this program saying to God, God, take my life. Take, take, God, take my life. Take, take my life. Because God's up there saying, no. <laughs> no. I don't want it. Take my No. And I said, well, I'm supposed to give your life to God. No, said my son. You never give back a gift. You never give back a gift. Why you give it back? God doesn't want it. You need it. And it does not talk in the 12 steps about handing your life over. It talks in the 12 steps. You mark my words. It talks about turning your life. Turning your life in a new direction. And if you don't turn it, you'll never, never, never go. There are a lot of people who've got many years in this program who have not got recovery. You know, there's a thing in this program called being dry. Again, I share with you what my sponsor said, being dry, to being dry, dry, it's like a dry leaf. You know, if you get a dry leaf, you get a dry leaf and you hold a dry leaf, you can put it in your hand like this, and it snaps, you know what I mean? Snaps, breaks, very easy, dry leaf. There are some people in the program who are like that. They snap so quick, break so quick, ooh, so angry, so quick. I tell you what he shared with me. He said, sobriety, sobriety is about being supple. 
Sobriety is about being able to bend. If you cannot bend, it's not sobriety. It's not about rigid rules. It's not about laws. It's not about black and white. It's about being able to bend. Being able to bend. And when they talk to me about turning your life in a new direction, I tell you, if you don't turn it, it'll never happen. Every step. You know what they call it? They call them like this. It's amazing, really. Because it's right there before us and we don't always get it. It's called the 12 steps. You know, if you don't take the steps, you're not going anywhere. Steps doesn't go anywhere. Steps, therefore, we have to work. There's no magic. God isn't pulling us. God isn't forcing us. God doesn't love you or me in this room any more than he loves the drunk who's drinking. The difference is, the difference is that you love yourself enough. You love yourself enough to go through the shape. To go through the time when you just didn't, you know, you wanted to drink so much but you didn't. To go through the times of the sweat. To go through those weeks and months maybe of boredom. The one thing I know in 12-step meetings is sometimes we, we give applause to everybody but ourselves. I can't tell you how many times I've heard at conference, conferences and AA speakers say, I want to thank, I want to thank my wife, Dot. And I want to thank Bill, my sponsor. And I want to thank all of you for being here tonight. If there was a dog in the corner. And I want to thank the dog. Just think. Who's the one person they miss? Themselves. Themselves. Every time you move in the right direction, you praise God. Every time you carry the message, that's true, you take God there. Sometimes some of us keep missing ourselves. It's like people say to me, I love God, but do you love yourself? And here's a question that's a very important one for us in the program. How can you love God if you don't love yourself? And I see a lot of people who tell me how much they love God, but it's obviously clear they don't love themselves. Once you start to understand that the steps you take, and if you don't want to take them, that's with regard to any other addiction. There are interventions that come even within this program. Some of us started with our drinking and we're starting to look at some other things now. And again, if you don't take the steps, it will not happen. This is an amazing program. If ever there was a program that made God so understandable, it's this program. It isn't about having to learn complicated rituals. It's about being real. 
It isn't about learning your jargon, it's about just saying what comes from your heart. And for those people who have the ears to hear, they will always hear. I have learned so much in this program. As I said to you right at the beginning, and I share with you now towards the end of my talk. I share with you, I came in thinking that it was all going to be about Christianity. And it's got so much bigger. Where else will you find people holding hands? The Jews, Protestants, Catholics, agnostics. Some years ago I was in Thailand. I've been also in Israel. I've been to Islamic countries. Both set meetings in every country in every city. In Russia now at the present time there are 12 set meetings. People have had no religion. This is not a religious program, thank God. It's a spiritual program. And it is for people who are different. The people who are single. The people who have a different sexual orientation. It's not about being safe. It's about variety. You know, there's a, a thing that I end my thoughts with. And I, and I share it with you. I went, I went to Georgia, to Atlanta, Georgia. And when I was in Atlanta, Georgia, a young guy came over to me and said, Thank you for the talk. He's in CA. You know what CA people are? Give me a hand on He said, I want to thank you. He said, because you thought, you know, you said you did the car crash. You remember the car crash, Bible? I said, I remember. Wasn't it? He said, that, he said, that moment, you talked about your moment when you're at your car crash and when you saw yourself. When you saw yourself in your car crash and you went to get help. The pain, the moment. I said, you're right. He said, Father Leon, do you think that God, who spoke obviously in that car crash to you, that natural intervention, do you think that God can speak to a song? I said, definitely, definitely. God doesn't just speak through churches and preachers and mothers. God also speaks through artists. People who write differently. People who speak differently. People who write the songs that people sing. I said, why are you asking me this, David? He said, because he says I'm a cocaine addict. And I was in Atlanta, Georgia, hurting for cocaine crack. And I couldn't take it any longer. I needed to get some stuff. I'd been off it seven, eight days, but I needed it. And I was, I was going out to get it. And he said, I heard on the radio. I heard on the radio a song. And the song just made me think. Stop me, like your car crash stops you dead in your tracks. Stop me, the song. And the reason I wanted to share it with you is because the song 
The song was sung by the Beatles. And when I heard you speak, it reminded me of that country and the accent. I said, what can you remember the word? Oh, can I remember the word for? I remember those words like you remember your car crash. I said, you tell me. You tell me the words of that song. And I'll share them with you. Because who knows, this may be the only thing this may be the only thing that some of you ever hear on my talk. The words that brought David to his senses, if you like, reality, the words of these. When I was a young man, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody in any way. But now those days have gone. I'm not so self-assured. Now I find I've changed my mind and I've opened up the door. So help me. Help me if you can, I'm feeling down. And I do appreciate you being around. Help me with my feet back on the ground. Won't you please, please, help me. He said, Father Leo, there was help for me. I said, I know, David. Because some years ago there was help for me too. This is what your second year convention is all about. There is help here. There is more wisdom in this room than there is in any book. More experience, more pain, and more joy than you'll ever find in any book. It's all here. To be part of it is a privilege. It is something that we can treasure in our hearts long after this moment is finished. There are only three things that this program promises. And they all begin with us. We will live like we have never lived before. We will love like we have never loved before. And God willing, we will love. We will love like we've never loved before. Thank you very much for listening to me. Thank you.